Welcome to the Positive Sum Podcast. In this episode, I sit down and talk with Hunter Reeser. Hunter Reeser is a close friend of mine and the current assistant baseball strength and conditioning coach from Vanderbilt University. In this episode, we talk about Hunter's background, his thoughts on training baseball players, as well as some of the technology and tools that they use to train their athletes at Vanderbilt University. I had a lot of fun recording this episode and hope that you enjoy. So without further ado, let's get to the show. Anarisa, welcome to the show. I appreciate you having me, Drew. Um, it's definitely a pleasure uh, and excited to get into it. Sweet. So why don't you just open it up with some of your backstory? How did you actually get into strength conditioning? Sure. So um, I guess I'll start out with the high school uh, where I was in high school. So um, I went to high school at Governor Mifflin in uh, in Pennsylvania. So right outside Reading, PA, um, not too far from Philly. Uh, so in high school, I was a two sport athlete, football in the fall and then baseball, you could say in the winter, in the spring and then summer as well. Um, but it kind of all started back in high school. I mean, I love the weight room. Um, honestly, I was working out with the high school football team in the weight room in the mornings when I was in like seventh grade. Um, so I started out at a very early age, uh, in the weight room and just kind of fell in love with it. And, you know, it, that sensation and desire kind of never went away. Um, so I started out early there. Uh, then after high school, um, I committed to play division one baseball at Fairleigh Dickinson University. Um, small school in New Jersey. Uh, played there my freshman year. Uh, originally went in as a meteorology um, major. So I was fascinated with the weather and whatnot. Um, and that was a biology major um, with like a secondary being meteorology. So um, got into like the science background of all things. Um, played my freshman year. Uh, ended up getting hurt my sophomore year there. Um, and at that point, I was kind of on the edge of wanting to transfer just because I wanted to get into strength and conditioning um, as kind of like my major focus in college. Um, and FDU just didn't have that for me. So um, I was obviously looking at a bunch of schools and Westchester was at the top of my list. So Westchester came up and I was able to, you know, get enrolled there, um, you know, to get an exercise science program and also be on the baseball team. So it was the best of both worlds. Uh, went into Westchester my um, junior year, and then that's when I met you, Drew. Um, and uh, that was a great experience as well. Um, you know, just being able to actually focus more on the exercise science part of things uh, from an academia standpoint uh, was really big for me, um, and I enjoyed every second of it. And then baseball was just obviously, um, you know, icing on the cake. So, uh played junior and senior year. And then obviously my senior year of uh, 2020 got cut short because of COVID. Um, as you know, we were sitting in that classroom and um, coach, you know, broke us the news that the season was canceled. Uh, and at that time I knew where I was going to go for um, grad school, which was at Springfield college uh, up in Massachusetts. Um, so I had the decision to make and I was, you know, I had a great baseball career. And at that point I was kind of ready to transition to more of the coaching side of things. Um, so hung up the cleats, hung up the Jersey uh, after that 
2020 COVID season um, and decided to go to Springfield College for my master's program. Um, so I went to Springfield College and that was a strength and conditioning um, program, which is one of the best in the nation. And that's kind of the reason I wanted to go there, uh, just because I knew I was going to excel um, and learn a lot as a coach. But at the same time, the network connections that come out of that uh, university or college is unbelievable. Um, so went to Springfield College for my first year, uh, was an intern under the GAs that were there at the time. Um, and at that point as well, I uh, interned at the University of Massachusetts with the football team. Um, and I forgot to mention prior to going to Springfield College, so the summer of 2020, um, I had an internship with uh, the University of North Carolina football team. So I was working with Coach Brian Hess there, who was a Springfield alum. Um, so going back to then, the uh, spring of 21, went to UMass, uh, worked with the football team there. Um, and then the summer of 21, got the opportunity to go to Army West Point and work with their football team there, uh, directed by Coach Connor Hughes, who is also a Springfield alum. So as you can see, there's a lot of Springfield um, college connections and whatnot. So I got my feet wet, um, you know, with football and loved every second of it. Um, you know, being able to work with football is, was great. Um, and then following that summer, I got the graduate assistantship um, with baseball, football, women's gymnastics, and track and field at Springfield College. So, um, you know, I was programming strictly for four teams, um, which was a lot. Um, you know, they let us do all the programming. And then obviously we went and, uh, you know, got our programs um, approved by the director and whatnot. But everything was pretty much done by us. And that was one of the best experiences that I've ever had um, was just being able to, you know, program, um, you know, for four different teams and just see how different four different teams work. Um, so, it was a lot, but it was all worth it in the end. And then uh, the spring of 22, um, this job here with Vanderbilt Baseball opened up and uh, I applied for it and was able to, you know, land the job. And uh, it has been one of the best jobs um, that you can imagine. Uh, just being able to work strictly with baseball, um, you know, all your time and energy goes into this team, uh, which has been unbelievable and uh, very grateful for the opportunity for sure. Yeah, definitely. Anytime that you can go from being with a ton of teams, just zooming in on one group of guys day in and day out, there's a lot of satisfaction there for sure. And you can just uh, really lock them into another level with all that extra time, attention and resources. But no doubt. one thing that I want to kind of just hit on real quick is Springfield. Um, you're one of the only people that I'm close to that went to Springfield and to me as an outsider, like Springfield seems like the Alabama football of like strength and conditioning um, and getting high value strength and conditioning coaches out there into the world. So do you have any thoughts of like what it actually is that's helping Springfield churn out so many high quality coaches? Like, is it the instruction, the classroom, the systems around it? Like what's going on there? Yeah, I think uh, what separates it from a lot of other programs is just the fact that you go into Springfield College and you know you're going to coach. Um, you know, I, I know a lot of people who had, you know, GA positions with, you know, different schools, different teams, um, and they don't get to do much coaching or programming. Um, but you go to Springfield College, you know what you're going to get. 
Um, and, you know, it starts from the top. Um, our director, Dr. Brian Thompson, uh, Mary Kate Fight, Adam Fight, um, you know, they're all unbelievable mentors um, and they help you out a lot with, you know, coaching, how to program, um, you know, just how to be a presence on the floor. But I think that's the thing that separates Springfield College from a lot of other schools is just the fact that you're going to go there and you know exactly what you're going to get. You're going to coach. Um, you're going to have to get the athletes trust. You know, that's a big one. Um, but at the end of the day, you're also going to work with multiple teams. You're not just going to work with one team. And I think that was the big thing with me is, you know, getting to work with different teams that I never, ever had any experience with before, um, you know, women's gymnastics, track and field, uh, you know, getting to work with teams like that, um, you know, just grew grew me as a coach in so many ways, um, you know, not just having to program for a different sport, but also having to get gain their trust um, and get their buy in. Um, so I think, you know, that's the big thing, like you said, that separates Springfield is just, you know what you're going to get. And if you um, completely dive in and put your head down and, you know, work hard, you're going to come out of that school with, um, you know, a lot of opportunities in the field of strength and conditioning. Um, so I hope that answered your question. Yeah, definitely. Um, and yeah, it seems like you've had, aside from just Springfield, a lot of great experience along the way and most of them being in football. And obviously now, and growing up, you were a football player up until high school. You said you're a quarterback, right? I was, yeah. Yeah. So you had this football career. You had a lot of these football internships. And obviously, you played baseball in college, but you kind of pivoted out of that football lane that you were kind of excelling through and then headed into baseball. So were you like torn about that decision at all? Or did you always know that? you would do football or baseball? Yeah. So I, I kind of thought, you know, football and baseball were my, you know, meat and potatoes, you know, that was what I was kind of, uh, you know, planning on doing after, um, you know, my master's program. Uh, and obviously, you know, this job opened up and I was able to get it, which was like, you know, unbelievable. Um, but I, w I wouldn't say I was too torn between the two. Uh, I knew what I knew I was going to do one or the other. Um, if not both at the same time. But now that now that I look at it, you know, I enjoy the collegiate baseball um, sector so much. Um, you know, you're just working with a different group of of athletes. And, you know, obviously you're working with, you know, a lot of pro guys and stuff, uh, but you've been around the college um, setting as well. Uh, it, it's just there's something different about it. And, uh, you know, it's really special to be able to coach kids playing the same game that I played. Um, obviously at a much higher level though. Uh, these guys are far, far more talented than I was. Um, I don't know, but, <laughs> but it's, uh, it, it's, it's cool to be able to, to coach them. Um, but my experiences with football, I think helped set me up for where I am now. Um, you know, just being able to work with a team that's so massive. I mean, you're looking at the college football team now with over a hundred guys and, uh, you know, having to navigate a room having to coach different, um, you know, position groups and whatnot and, you know, just have a presence on the floor when there's that many guys. You know, I think that really, really helped me um, to where I'm at today. And I'm forever grateful for, you know, uh, Brian Hess, Connor Hughes, uh, Joel Reinhardt. You know, they were all coaches that kind of influenced me to kind of get into this field. Um, you know, if it wasn't for them to being able to work with football, uh, you know, I don't know if I would be in this position. So.
Yeah, definitely. It seems like the football experience has definitely had some carryover into baseball. But um, before we started recording the podcast, you were telling me that today's a game day. So I'm kind of curious about what is your day-to-day look like? Obviously, it's uh, Tuesday, February 21st, as we're recording this episode. You guys are just starting to uh, get started with game. So what does the spring kind of look like day to day or even like a weekly layout? Yeah. So um, just like strength and conditioning in general, uh, you're never going to get the same week from week to week. Um, But generally when we get into spring, we kind of get into a more solidified schedule. Um, So today being a game day, uh, you know, we won't have guys in until maybe one 32 o'clock prior to our classroom. And, uh, Sometimes that'll be pitchers. Sometimes it'll be hitters, just depending on what day it is and, you know, whether they have to get a lift in or whatnot. Um, So I would say we get guys rolling in here around noon, one o'clock. You know, we'll have our pregame meal. Uh, The guys that need a lift will come in and lift with us prior to our classroom. We'll have classroom. um, Then we'll head out to the field for, you know, pregame BP. And then, uh, you know, we roll into the game after the opponent takes BP. So, um, every, every game day is a little bit different, um, in some capacity, whether that just be the guys that are coming into the weight room, if we don't have any, then, you know, um, we aren't that busy that day, but, um, it's a lot different than it is in the fall, but cause we have a lot more solidified schedule now that we know exactly when the games are, what time they're going to be at. So it helps us, you know, have a solidified schedule and, um, we're able to operate, you know, on that schedule. Yeah, and are guys lifting on game days, even if they're starting in the games? Uh, So we won't necessarily have a full lift. Um, Generally, we'll have some guys come in and we can we'll do some, you know, priming exercises, you know, just more ballistic stuff, maybe some med ball throws, just stuff to kind of excite the central nervous system and get them prepared. but, I mean, there are days where we will lift a, a day before a game, right? Obviously, under control and under supervision, you know, we're not going out and taxing their central nervous system with, you know, real heavy weight, high volume, you know, different things like that. Uh, but we'll get guys that will come into the weight room because um, we leave it open for them. If they want to get something in, everybody has a different routine. So if we want, if guys come in, some will actually just hit an arm farm um, and try to get a little pregame pump. Um so that they can juice the ball out of the stadium. But uh, that's awesome. Yeah, we, we, we encourage them to come in and get, get their work done, uh, whether that be a priming session, um, soft tissue stuff, you know, just to get whatever makes them their body feel right, you know, for the game. That's, that's all that we can ask from them. Yeah, so I know a lot of college baseball teams were going in the direction of lifting pregame, um, even if it's, you know, we're just hitting four by two on deadlifts and then like two other exercises, right? Just like something to keep you going because the schedule is so demanding and so busy. What is your kind of take on that? And have you guys thought about lifting on game days, like on a getaway day, for example? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of benefit to it. Um, and at the, at the end of the day, it also comes down to, do you have the schedule to be able to do it? Because um, like when we're at home, it's a little more difficult because our guys are in class. Um, so they may not be getting over to the facility until, you know, an hour before our classroom where that may not give them enough time to actually come in and get, you know, the work they need to get done. Um, 
So that's why when we're kind of at home, we kind of leave the weight room open for guys that want to come in and get some pregame stuff. Uh, but we make sure that we're, if we're lifting before a game, like the day prior to that, it's high intensity, but low volume, something that's going to really get them primed up for the next day. Um, and whether that be, you know, some heavy trap bar deadlifts, heavy squats, whatever it may be, um, you know, some ballistic med ball throws, we'll do that. Uh, when we go on the road, um, generally that Friday morning, we will do some form of movement, um, whether that'll be in our visit or the, our opponent's weight room, um, if we have access to it, or it'll just be in like our meeting room in the hotel. Um, you know, we'll do some movement stuff, you know, whether that be some med ball stuff, soft tissue rollout, you know, whatever, like I said, whatever gets the guys feeling good. Um, but I do think there is a lot of benefit to lifting on game day, um, especially if it's done at high intensity with low volume. You know, it's going to excite the central nervous system, get them primed up and ready to go. And a lot of times guys will leave the weight room feeling much better than they did coming in. Um, and that's at the end of the day, that's exactly what you're looking for. We want them to be feeling good as they step onto the field so that they can perform at a high level. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And what kind of uh, technology are you taking advantage of throughout the week? Are you guys using stuff like Catapult or like Kaiser, things like that? Yeah, so uh, we're we're very um, grateful here. We have access to um, Elite Form. So we have Elite Form on all seven of our racks. Um, so what we're doing is we're constantly measuring um, – our power output with our like barbell jumps, um, trap bar jump shrugs, different things like that. Uh, Cause I think what we're, what we're planning on doing using that, if we're going to monitor it week to week, um, if there's decline in some power output, maybe we can go back and look and see, you know, is this guy fatigued right now? What's going on here? Um, and if it continues to trend down, then we have to probably change something in our, in our program um, or just get in touch with our sports medicine staff, you know, see what's going on. Um, so we have elite form. So we track that a lot. Um, and that's just not with squats or uh, jumps, I, I say. It's with squats, um, you know, different things that we do inside the rack. Uh, so we're constantly monitoring stuff like that. Um, like you said, we do have catapult. So we wear catapult for every training session, um, every game. And what that tells us is we're, we really look at um, just total player load, player workload, um, acute to chronic ratio is another big one that we, we look at. Um, but at the end of the day, too, we, we kind of want to see how fast guys are getting during the game. Um, I think that's one thing that we like to look at. And I know it's one thing that the players like to look at as well. Um, you know, we'll have some guys hit a double and, you know, sprinting out of the box. And they'll come back into the dugout and be like, or the bunker. Out, and they'd be like, I want to I know what I got on that on that double. Um, you better tell me how fast I went. So it, it, the guys buy into it and the guys really like it as well. Um, so we have catapult, we have elite form. Uh, and then we also have um, force plates. Um, not so much that we're going to have access to uh, too much during the season because they're over in our Olympic weight room. Um, but we do have access to those for, you know, counter movement jumps, um, mid thigh iso pulls, you know, different things like that. Uh, and then we also have a Nord board. So we use the Nord board a lot in the off season um, just to, you know, measure hamstring force um, and whatnot. And 
that's the same thing with the force plate right now. We don't have much access to it just because it's over an Olympic. We're planning on getting our own um, come next season. But if we have a guy that, you know, pulls a hammy or uh, whatnot, you know, we'll put him on the Nord board um, kind of just to look at that return to play process and see how they're um, coming along. But from a technology standpoint, I mean, we have everything we need and we try to utilize it as much as we possibly can. Uh, but during the in season, for sure, you know, it's going to be elite form. It's going to be catapult. Those are going to be the meat and potatoes of, of what we're looking at. Um, but like I said, technology nowadays in the, the sports science, sports performance um, sector is only increasing as we as we speak. You know, there's new technology coming out every single day. Um, and if you're not using it now, you're, you're going to eventually probably fall behind because it's going to take over um, in some capacity. So I think, you know, diving into it and, and utilizing it as much as you possibly can within your program is going to be huge. And, you know, we try to do that on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, one of my curious <clears throat> questions is, I mean, obviously at the SEC level, most people probably have any number of these things, elite form, catapult, force plates, Nordboard, um, you know, Tendo or Gymaware, all these pieces of technology. But how do you guys actually like, funnel it down into like an actionable uh, decision? Uh, do you have like a sports science person on staff? Is it you or your head baseball strength coach making those decisions from a sports science perspective? Um, is it like a team approach with sports medicine as well? Like speak to that a little bit with actually taking that data and actually making decisions. How does that process come about? Yeah. So I think, I think that all starts um, as soon as we get together in the fall, right? Before we even start um, Walker and myself uh, and our athletic trainer, um, We'll, we'll kind of meet with our uh, sports science director across the street, Tyler Clark, um, a.k.a. Rex. Uh, he is unbelievable when it comes to sports science, um, and he has so much experience in the field of strength and conditioning and sports science, um, working with football specifically. Um, you know, he's been everywhere. He's been at Iowa. He's been at Nebraska. He's been here at Vanderbilt um, working with the football team, and now he's um, director of sports science. So, uh, we talk to him a lot about sports science and what we can use um, to measure different things um, throughout a given year. So I think that all starts in the fall. Um, we'll just go to the whiteboard and be like, what specific things do we want to track over a given year, right? Whether that be, you know, power output, if we're getting on the Nord board, like hamstring strength, um, you know, mid thigh pole, isometric strength, you know, just different things like that. And we'll put it on the, on the whiteboard. Um, and then we may have 10 to 15 different ideas that pop up. Um, but at the end of the day, you can't do all 10 to 15. So you have to narrow it down and be like, what are going to be the most beneficial for us to look at as a, you know, sports performance staff, but also what are going to be the best, um, you know, exercises, different things for our players, right? What's going to give them the most bang for their buck. Um, so we have a lot of communication when it comes to that. And, you know, it's going to probably differ from year to year. You know, there'll be different ideas every year. So um, that all starts early on uh, when, when guys get back, um, you know, in the off season, you know, we'll, we'll look at that and then we run with it the rest of the year. And obviously some, if something's not working and we want to switch it, you know, we can do that, but we make sure that whatever we track and whatever we 
plan on doing for our guys is going to be good for the off season and then the in season as well. Um, so, you know, with catapult specifically, you know, we, we look at acute to chronic ratio, like I said, um, with the Nord board, we're looking at just peak force, hamstring strength. Um, if there's any asymmetries within hamstring strength or, you know, we look at that and we can program differently for, you know, that specific individual, um, the force plate, we look at counter movement jump, you know, um, peak eccentric strength and how fast they can absorb, you know, force and redirect it. You know, that's one thing that we're looking at a lot, because if you look at the game of baseball, you know, it's a lot of that, right. Stopping on a dime and redirecting yourself, um, you know, to get a ground ball or, you know, to catch a, a pop fly, different things like that. Um, <clears throat> and then elite form, you know, we're looking at peak power. We're looking at, uh, you know, um, velocity parameters with, you know, our squats, benches, uh, bench, whatever, whatever exercise we program, you know, for that phase. Um, so those are kind of the main things that we, we look upon. And those are the main things that we narrowed it down to uh, early on. And, you know, we stick to them now. Uh, and then obviously there's going to be some things that we need to improve or some things that we need to just get rid of for next year. Uh, so every year is probably going to be a little different um, as we grow and as we learn more about, you know, just sports science and technology in general. Uh, but like you said, we, we planned it out accordingly early on before our guys even get here and before we start so that we know exactly what we're going to do, when we're going to do it um, and how we're going to do it. So, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, one of the ones that, <laughs> or piece of technology that I want to zoom in on a little bit is catapult um, because that's one of the ones that I have more experience in compared to others. Uh, so with the catapult, like you're tracking acute to chronic, but what kind of decisions will be made off of that? Are they decisions at the team level? Is it more at the individual level? And then in that picture, like, how are you flexing to decrease workload or increase it? Is it mostly coming from practice? Is it coming from games um, or not games, practice or training, like in the weight room? Or who's kind of flexing to decrease that workload or increase it? Yeah, so um, that's a great question. And there's probably so many different answers that you can, you can give for a question like that. But uh, I think... What we do here um, when we look at that stuff is um, we want to make sure that our guys are able to handle the workload that's going to be, you know, brought upon them um, come, you know, the the preseason. So back when it starts all in the fall, you know, we're going to do a lot of, um, you know, high speed running, you know, tempo work, just covering a, a, an immense amount of yards just so that we're preparing their tissues and stuff for the preseason. So. Then when we get to the preseason um, and we look at, you know, the acute to chronic work ratio, um, you know, that's when we can start to see some trends. And if guys are if guys uh, acute to chronic ratio is significantly high and they're at an increased, you know, rate for injury, um, you know, then that's something that we can mention to the coaches and be like, you know, this is a guy that we need to kind of look out for, um, especially just workload management, especially on the field. And then from our standpoint in the weight room, you know, if we see a guy that's like that, um, you know, we'll just decrease volume in the weight room, um, maybe decrease some exposures to any jumps, any loaded jumps that we may have for that day, uh, different things like that. Um, but generally when it's when it's one guy, 
it's probably going to be a couple more too. You know, obviously I know everybody's body can handle different stressors and whatnot. Um, but when it comes to stuff on the field, if one guy's picking up a lot of, you know, high speed yardage and just a lot of <clears throat> total yards in general, there's probably going to be a couple other guys that are doing the same thing. Um, so at that point, <clears throat> we, we may just limit everybody in the weight room, um, whether that's dropping a couple sets on our compound lifts, um, you know, getting rid of our loaded jumps for the day, whatever it may be. You know, we, we want to make sure that our guys are as fresh as possible. Um, and, and we'll look at that stuff and we'll, um, you know, coordinate with the coaches as well. You know, if they had a really heavy, um, pra heavy, dense practice with a lot of running, you know, we'll tell them that maybe they can back off a little bit the next day and just give them some rest on their on their legs and their feet um, just so that they're preparing their tissues for competition when it comes that time. And, you know, our coaching staff does a great job with, um, you know, just coordinating practices and, and training sessions and, um, you know, knowing that the guys are going through a lot, especially in the preseason, um, when it's such a short amount of time to prepare for the actual season. Uh, you know, we try to get as much as we can, um, but in a safe manner as well. Uh, so like you said, it comes down to just a lot of communication um, from strength and conditioning standpoint, athletic training standpoint, and then also from the coach's standpoint, we all have to kind of coordinate um, accordingly and uh, make sure our guys are put in the best positions possible. And that's a lot what we use Catapult for is just to make sure that, you know, they're as fresh as possible um, as much as possible, you know? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense and definitely answers the question. It seems like you guys can be flexible in a number of ways in order to either reduce or increase that workload, especially given that you have some on-field coach buy-in where it's not like, all right, a guy is either high or low, and now we can only change the small sliver of weight room volume that we can control. So that's definitely huge. It unlocks, um, you know, a far bigger ability to control that workload. So that's, that's yeah. And I, and I guess another thing too, um, just mentioning like the, the weight room stuff. Uh, I mean, there's been times too, where, um, you know, at the end of the day, strength and conditioning coaches, we, we program these great phases, these great, you know, four week blocks, eight week blocks, whatever they may be. Right. Um, and we're like, Oh, this is, you know, the best program possible. Right. It's never going to go that way. Um, so there are times too, where, uh, you know, we'll, we'll lift, or pre or after practice, I should say. Um, so we'll lift post practice, and there's times where if the practice was real heavy um, and dense on just workload in general, there's times that we've come up, we've had the guys come up, and we've just really done a recovery session um, where maybe we had like a big squat day prepared, um, and we just completely banged that lift, and uh, you know just did some recovery modalities just so that they could feel fresh for the next day. Because um, at the end of the day, they're here to play baseball. They're not here to, to be weightlifters, right? Um, so we utilize that data to make sure that, you know, if we have to completely bang a, a day from our program, um, that we will. We will just to make sure that, you know, the guys are feeling as best they can. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And one of the questions I have, and I don't know if you necessarily see it at your level, but, you know, being the guy in college where, you know, I didn't understand workload at all. Um, as you probably remember, you know, just extra lifts, extra conditioning sessions. I didn't understand balancing any of that. <laughs> I just thought more work was always better. So uh, 
you know, in the past I've run into athletes where they didn't really buy into the whole workload concept. And it was always like more is always better. Uh, do you run into that at all where it's like, Hey, athlete X, we need to kind of lay off on whatever pregame shagging because your workload numbers are high. And then you just see them out there like power shagging for three rounds of BP or they all kind of <clears throat> bought in on the workload concept. Uh, it's, I would say it's a mix. Um, I think what's unique about our, our uh, players here is they love to get better. And like, we have guys that are in the cages every single day. Some guys come in here at six 30 in the morning and are hitting. Um, and I'm not even in the facility yet. Like we have guys that just love to get better. Um, but I think, I think the cool thing about a lot of our players too is they're interested in what we do as strength and conditioning coaches um, and how we program different things. So they're constantly asking us different questions, you know, regarding, um, you know, why we do this specific lift, um, you know, what, what can we recommend for them to do on their off days, um, you know, and different things like that. But we have guys that, uh, you know, just love to get their work in. Um, and we try to do our best to tell them that, you know, we want, we want them to get their, you know, their work in. And if they have to do extra work, like we're all for it. Um, we just tell them to be smart and, you know, not, not do anything that's going to be too um, detrimental to, you know, just their central nervous system. Um, because at the end of the day, they have to be prepared to take the field almost every single day, whether it's for a game or whether it's for a training session. So, um, you know, we tell them if they're going to get their extra work in, they just have to make sure that they're being smart about it. And we'll kind of educate them on that and just be like, you know, you ran a, a lot of high speed yardage yesterday. Um, you accumulated a lot of total yardage. Um, so maybe staying off your feet, you know, for the majority of today would be beneficial for you so that you're ready for tomorrow. Um, different things like that. But at the end of the day, too, we we really harp on just recovery. Um, and different ways that they can, you know, recover, whether that be some physical stuff, um, some nutritional stuff, obviously stuff that you probably really enjoy to talk about, Drew, um, when it comes to nutrition and, and whatnot. Um, you know, we have we have a nutritionist here that kind of guides them in that direction. Um, but if it's little things that, you know, we know about, we can tell them as well. But, um, you know, that's that's the really unique thing about working with this team is, you know, we have guys that are just grinders and, want to get better every single day and they're in this facility if they could be in this facility for 24 hours a day they probably would if they had beds here um but you know they're in here all the time and they're they're getting better every single day so it's it's finding that happy medium with them getting their extra work in but doing it in a safe manner so that they're prepared for you know the stressors that are going to come that following day so yeah that makes a lot of sense and i think that you know, obviously continuing to educate them, as you're saying, um, probably builds that buy-in. And also, you know, at the end of the day, you're, you're walking the walk also, you know, if you were just having them do, they had a four hour practice and they come in and just crush a heavy squat session, right. Just because it was in your program, then they're probably not going to buy in as much to the, I guess, utility of workload monitoring. So mm -hmm. it's, I think it's helpful that you're also being flexible in the training program so that they kind of see like, oh, okay, there's a reason why we're foam rolling right now and doing like band pull-aparts after this four-hour practice, right? Yeah. And not doing 405 on a back squat. 
Exactly. Uh, so I think that's that's really useful. Yeah, and I and I think another thing too, like you had mentioned, uh, when we were playing, you know, we we really didn't understand workload management, and I think having that experience for ourselves kind of made us the guinea pig, and you know, that's what helps us now tell our players, you know, don't do the the same stuff that I did, right? Don't beat up your body that you can't perform at a high level um, every single day. Um, like I remember going to the gym, like post practice or even prior to practice and you know we're we're ripping deadlifts squats benches whatever it is and just like crushing our body um so bad yeah before (laughs) before practice and stuff and you know i tell them like don't make the same mistakes that i did and right and that's why i'm here to tell you you know um i've been i've been around I've, i've done it and uh you know i don't want you to feel the same way that i did so just do it in a safe you know manner and i think that experience helps me uh, communicate to our players, you know, what to do and, and how to do it in a proper way. Yeah. I think <clears throat> just funny personal <throat> anecdote when I went to LaSalle for my freshman year, um, I was just so obsessed with lifting. Like it's all I wanted to do. And we would have morning lifts at, I think the two different slots were five fifteen and five thirty, And we'd flip flop between position players and pitchers. And at the beginning of the year, I, I didn't really know anything about strength conditioning. I just It was all intensity for me. And at the beginning of the year, we started out with like a hypertrophy kind of base, like GPP. And it was like three sets of 12 on back squat. And in my head, I was like, baseball players need to be strong and powerful. Why are we doing three by 12? So we would, we would have that morning lift. Let's say we hit lower body. And then we would have typically like a four hour practice um, and oftentimes do like hellish conditioning. <clears throat> and then I would be taking a half scoop or scoop of C4 and then going to the gym right next to my dorm and then doing extra volume of like squats, deadlifts or bench. It was just an absolute mess. Like if you looked at my catapult data or my whoop, if I had one back in those days, it would be an absolute. Disaster. Oh yeah. They'd be through the roof. No doubt. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, especially uh, <clears throat> sleep after taking a scoop of C4 at 8 p.m. and then waking up the next day to lift at 5 a.m. Not good. Um, but, yeah, curious if you guys have – obviously, you're tracking, like, external workload with uh, things like Catapult. Do you guys use any type of wearables uh, like Whoop or um, – No, we, we don't, unfortunately. Um we have talked about it, about getting some stuff, whether it be the whoop um, or a ring, different things like that. We have a couple guys on the team that have their own. Um, so they're, you know, they're tracking their, their sleep and uh, readiness scores, you know, on a daily basis. Uh, I do think it would be a great um, technology to have. It just comes down to logistics and, you know, how to get it for each of our guys. But uh, we have talked about it, you know, whether that being whoop or a ring, just so that we can, um, monitor the guys from a coaching standpoint, but also at the same time have the players be able to look at their scores and be like, okay, if my sleep score is this low, what am I doing wrong? Right. And then that's when they can either come talk to us or they can come talk to somebody that's, you know, a professional in that field to kind of help them out and, you know, point them in the right direction for things like that. So I think it's something that we're, interested in and i think it's something that we're looking at for the future but as of right now we don't have it 
Um, and I'm not uh, sure. I mean, I know you, I know you've, uh, worked with, you know, whoop and different things like that. Um, it, what you're doing right now, do you have players and stuff that wear that on a daily basis? Yeah. Um, we have like individuals that use whoop. Um, unfortunately, I always feel like I can't get into the specifics, but it's something that we're using. And I feel like just as a general concept, especially if you have those workhorse kind of guys where they've always gotten after it. Um, it is helpful to also have like the internal load data to see how their bodies are responding because, you know, the acute to chronic might say one thing, like you'd expect their nervous systems are just absolutely destroyed, but they're actually like in the green in terms of recovery because, mm-hmm. you know, when you're, that much of a workhorse where you've always had high volume and high intensity of training, like obviously your body's going to get acclimated to a certain point. So from my vantage point, I think it is pretty helpful to be able to see, okay, yeah, this guy's workload is high, but he's actually pretty primed to go today. Um, So I definitely think it has utility from that vantage point. And I would say I have an aura ring and then I think I'm going to get a whoop soon the one tough thing in terms of getting this, there's trade-offs, right? Cause whoop is a membership and it costs a certain amount of money each month. I think it's now like $19 a month. Um, and then, or, uh, now they have a subscription, but it's like five a month. Mm-hmm. But the issue there is that with the aura, you have to have the ring fitted to the individual. So, once a senior graduates, it's almost like you just let them keep the ring. Um, unless you're going to have people the same, like finger size coming in year after year. Yeah. Uh, it's a little bit more like a one size fits all with whoop versus like, all right, we have jerseys that are specific sizes. So we need to find the right ones for the right guy. And you might need to like custom order the right Jersey uh, for the group. So that's the only downside with, um, with aura. I would say in terms of being actionable, I would say the the whoop feels more actionable to me. I think the aura, uh, I don't know in terms of like data quality, but I've been kind of underwhelmed with like the impactfulness of the aura. I've had it for about two years and it does give you some type of like composite readiness score, but it's to me, it's not been particularly useful in terms of making decisions for myself. I'll notice like extremely gross uh, changes where, you know, if I have, you know, a lot of caffeine late in the day or, you know, I had a few drinks before I went to bed, like I'll notice changes in my data. But if it's a difference between, all right, I cut off my caffeine at 9 a.m. versus 12 p.m., like it doesn't feel like it's sensitive enough to like really show it in the data mm-hmm. versus whoop, I think picks up on those changes and like kind of lets you know about them um, in a more actionable way. That makes sense. Yeah, for sure. And we've done, we've done a lot of research with that stuff. And, you know, if we were to get, whether it would be whoop or ring, like, what are we going to, what are we going to look at? What are we going to tell our guys to make sure that they're monitoring um, different things like that? Cause at the end of the day, there's so much that, you can monitor from a whoop and aura ring standpoint, and it's just picking out the the few that you want to use and that are going to benefit the guys. So if the time comes where we do get it, um, you know, we'll have probably a couple of metrics that we'll look at, but until then 
you know, it's just your daily question, uh, question when they walk in the door is like, how's your body feeling? Um, you know, is there any part of you that's really sore today? And then from there, or, and then you ask them too, how was your sleep? And if they go, it was good. Or if they go, it wasn't good, then, you know, we take that into account for what we're going to do in the weight room, uh, different things like that. But yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. Um, I think one of the things that has the biggest <clears throat> utility from whether it's aura, woo, um, not really Apple watch, but the things that have the most utility from it is HRV. Um, cause even if somebody has a poor night of sleep, sometimes their HRV can be pretty good. Um, so kind of using that along with heart rate as like a marker of readiness, um, sleep still has a lot of utility, but sometimes you'll see somebody slept six hours, but the quality was, was high. Um, and their HRV and heart rates in a resting heart rates in a good zone. Um, there are some limitations too with HRV when you get into like differences between aura whoop and, uh, Apple Watch, just to nerd out for a second, like Apple Watch is just time sampling the HRV throughout the day. Like it's not just taking it during certain periods. So it's tough to compare like apples to apples. Mm -hmm. Uh, Aura is in the last five minutes of sleep. So that's a little bit more consistent because you're sampling a consistent time period. But what's really nice about Whoop is that they take it during slow wave sleep. And that's a phase of sleep where it's really difficult to wake you up. Um, so I think it's like 90 or hundred decibels, like really loud sounds are difficult to wake somebody up from that phase of sleep. So you can say that they're in like a state where taking the HRV is the, um, most actionable because it's really easy to compare the two. Uh, there's no like kind of external stimuli affecting the HRV. So, uh, I, I'm growing to like whoop more and more just from using it and looking into it. Um, I think Apple watch can be good, you know, just as like a gen pop kind of tool, but I don't think I would really be using it for, for athletes. So, um, if you guys end up going with something, I would, I would say whoop all the way. That's good to know. This point. Good to know. Yeah. Um, but real quick, <laughs> just want to get into, uh, one more thing, which is like misconceptions or like things you always hear about baseball training that I feel like people are coming around on, or there's more nuance. The first of them is bench pressing for baseball. What are your thoughts on bench pressing and baseball? Barbell bench, dumbbell, weighted push-ups. What should we be thinking about here? Uh, so I may ruffle a lot of feathers with this one, but, um, we do barbell bench press our guys, uh, you know, specifically in the off season. Um, and it comes down to, I don't think there's any bad exercises. There's just bad ways to perform them. Right. So if you're putting athletes in, in, uh, you know, um, a bench press, but they're doing it with poor technique, um, poor movement quality, then you're probably, yeah, you'll probably end up, um, getting some type of injury or some type of, you know, impingement, whatever it may be down the road. Uh, now we do all three of the exercises that you talked about. We do barbell, um, we'll do football bar bench. Um, we'll do dumbbell and we'll do weighted push-ups and stuff. There's, they all play a role at some, 
type of uh, exercise in our programs and at different times of the year. Okay. But early on, you know, we, we will bring out the, the barbell um, for our guys and we'll, we'll tempo um, really hard at the beginning of the year, just to make sure that the movement quality is there and that we're putting the guys in the positions that we want them in so that they can kind of get that ingrained um, in their movement pattern and whatnot. Um, but it comes down to, we, we have eyes on every guy. So if there's a guy that's really struggling with the proper technique and stuff to perform the movement the way we want it to, then we'll just get rid of the movement for them and we'll go to something else, right? So we're not going to leave the guys in a position where they're not able to, um, just because they can't bench press, they're not going to do any pressing at all. Like if you can't regular barbell bench press, then we'll put you in a dumbbell um, so that it, it puts you in that right position. Um, but I, I really do think there is a lot of, carryover for, you know, just getting stronger upper body, right? Um, you know, you think about it with pitchers and whatnot, they're, you know, they're um, extending that arm so much and, you know, their pecs are, are getting exposed a lot, right? So if you strengthen that area, then, you know, I think there is a lot of benefit to, um, you know, bench pressing and, and doing it heavy. Um, you know, you hear stories all the time of pitchers, you know, in the pros and um, stuff. I mean, now it's not every pro, but there are a lot of, of guys in the pros that, you know, can bench press upwards of 315 pounds. Um, and a lot of times with strength conditioning coaches hear that they're like, well, they shouldn't be doing that. And, you know, different things like that. But if you're doing it correctly, um, you know, there's a lot of benefit to it. Uh, so, you know, we harp on our guys to make sure that when we're doing that type of movement, that we do it with the best technique that they possibly can. And you do it rep by rep. Right. So if we have a set of five, you know, we want our guys to brace every single rep. All right. And reset after they get to the top. Right. So we're not just banging it off our chest doing five reps, you know, really quick like that. Right. Every single rep that we do um, has to be the best rep that they can possibly do. So we tell our guys early on that that's how we're going to lift in the weight room. Um, and they've they've come to love the bench press. Um, as you could say, we have some guys that are of meatheads and really, really enjoy just being in the weight room. Um, and they love when it comes to bench press day. And, uh, and that's coming from some guys that have never done it ever before. Like we have a handful of guys that's just started barbell bench pressing here at Vanderbilt with us. Um, and they've come to absolutely love the exercise. And there's days too, where we, um, when we tell them that, you know, we're planning on going to for this phase, we're going to plan on going to dumbbell bench press. And a lot of the guys get upset because they're like, man, I wanted a really barbell bench press. And we're like, okay, I like the sound of that. You know, um, you know, we're kind of drifting away from the stigma that baseball players can't barbell bench press. Um, now, like I said, we, we do change the, change the, um, the movement every now and then. Um, so we're not going to barbell bench press all year round. Um, especially when it comes to the in-season time, you know, we'll start to move to, you know, just neutral dumbbell bench press, uh, maybe football bar, just to put their their shoulders in a better position. Um, not saying that they were in a bad position with the barbell bench press, but we just want to make sure that we're doing everything as safe as possible to keep them, you know, as healthy as possible. But like you said, and and it comes down to, like, I know when we were in college, you know, we were barbell bench pressing. Um, and I know you were barbell bench pressing, you know, crazy amounts of weight, way more than I was at the time. Um, but, you know, it there, there's just no reason that we can't do it. As long as you're doing it properly and 
um, you have coaches that are able to coach it correctly and just make sure that the guys are put in positions that um, they're going to succeed in, then, you know, go and do it. You know, I don't think there's any detrimental effects to doing it just as long as you're doing it properly. Yeah, I would definitely agree. And, I mean, it's it's anecdotal and, you know, it's an N of one, but I always felt best when I was consistently barbell benching and, you know, working on upper body strength. I think when I got like, I got hurt my freshman year and I remember I, I just wasn't really lifting upper body at all. So, um, yeah, during the season, there was just like no lifts at all. So I think when I was just consistently hitting on that strength, I was... <clears throat> in a pretty good position, but yeah. And I guess you know. kind of, kind of like you said, you got hurt. Um, I ended up getting shoulder surgery my sophomore year. Uh, and then I transferred to Westchester that following year. But, you know, during that time, like during my, you know, rehabilitation process and whatnot, you know, I was so, I was so adamant of not doing any upper body on my right side. Right. And I think there was some detrimental effects to, you know, to doing that because you, you know, you have cross education and whatnot. Um, so I was working out my left, my left side a little bit, you know, pressing and upper body strength, but I wasn't doing it enough in a capacity that was able to maybe speed up the return to play process on my right shoulder. But then when I was healthy, you know, I still, I still, um, stayed away from, you know, doing a lot of horizontal presses and, you know, vertical presses. Um, and I look back now too. Now that I'm getting into bench press again, like pretty heavy, you know, like I said, my upper body feels great. You know, I don't have, um, you know, any issues with my shoulder, knock on wood. Um, but now that I look at it as a coach, I'm like, you know, I could have been doing this while I was playing. Right. And doing it in a safe environment is going to have a lot of benefit to it. So, uh, every, everybody's different. Every coach is different. Um, but at the end of the day, there's no one cookie cutter exercise when it comes to upper body, you know, strength. Um, you know, there's different ways to do it. So I'm not saying that everybody needs to go and bench press. Like whatever works for you and your players, then that's what you do. You know, um, just do what is going to give them the most bang for their buck. And, uh, you know, you just move on from there. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. And I think in that way, there's a lot of carryover with nutrition, actually, where you know, I talk about this a lot with athletes where they're like, well, can I have this food? And it's like, well, yeah, but it's like the dose makes the poison, right? It's like, are you going to start getting upper body injuries from one set of bench press? Is it two sets of bench press? It's like, is it 10? Is it 20 a week? Right? What intensity is it? Right? The dose makes the poison there because I don't think by just like laying down on the bench and popping out reps of 95 pounds, like people are going to all of a sudden start getting upper extremity <clears throat> injuries, let's say, or even pushing it beyond there. But, yeah, you know, maybe if we're talking about having like a bodybuilding style upper body day where it's like 10, 10 sets of bench press, like, yeah, that's, that's probably a little bit in excess. No um, doubt. And I think another thing that you brought up that just brings me back to the bench press too is, um, with the barbell bench press, you're able to load it a lot heavier than you would with like dumbbells, right? Cause some dumbbells, right. like some gyms only have dumbbells that maybe go up to 80 pounds or so. Um, and if you have guys that are really strong, that stimulus may not be enough for them. Um, and if you're trying to, you know, gain some upper body strength, you got to overload, um, uh, you know, their body and those tissues, um, you know, on a daily basis. So, 
at that point too, that's where barbell bench press may come in handy is like, you can load it up a little more um, than you would be able to do with, you know, 80 pounds in each hand. So like I said, there's different ways to get that stimulus, but if you're looking at it from, you know, a strength standpoint and really want to, you know, increase their total upper body strength, then the barbell bench press allows you to get to that stimulus, um, you know, in a different manner. Whereas, you know, like I said, dumbbell or uh, weighted pushup may not be able to give you that stimulus um, for, you know, that increased growth. So, yeah, no, definitely agree. But the next one that I want to get into the second, I guess, misconception or widespread belief in baseball is cardio. So what are your thoughts on, I'll just say cardio in general, right? Because I think that a lot of times when people think about cardio, it's kind of like the old school coach on Twitter who's saying, you know, guys should be running poles and running miles. And then it's the new school coach who's too anti-cardio sometimes that's saying, well, you don't need any cardio in baseball. So I imagine that you probably have an answer that's in the middle there with a little bit more gray that I'm curious to hear. What should we be thinking about with cardio in baseball? Yeah, um, I probably fall right in the middle of what you just said of not doing any and then doing pulls and stuff. So I'm like right in the middle. Um, I do think there is a benefit to um, some form of, you know, cardio, Um, you know, specifically, we use it a lot for just like our recovery days. Um, So let's say our Monday, you know, we do um, an acceleration day outside on the field with heavy toes. And then we go into the weight room and, you know, we're squatting and, and, uh, you know, different things like that. So we could say a very heavy lower body, um, emphasis day there. And then that next day, uh, you know, we'll maybe go and run some tempos, um, just to make sure that we're accumulating the yards, um, that we've seen on catapult from like an in-season standpoint, so that we're kind of matching that so that when we do get to the in-season, we're able to, um, you know, cover those yards without really, any detrimental effects to them. So we use a, we use cardio, um, as you would say a lot for recovery. Um, not so much just to get, just to train this, the, you know, the energy system, we do it more just for recovery. Um, cause at the end of the day, you look at baseball, it's a very power emphasis type of sport, right? You're, if you're a pitcher, right, you're throwing, um, catching the ball, and then you have that 20, that 20 second uh, pitch clock now. So you're throwing another pitch at full intensity, maybe 10 seconds after that. So it's a lot of just, um, you know, power repeatability type of things there. So maybe, maybe, um, you know, long distance cardio would have uh, an effect on pitching and you know, just your stamina within a game, but it, it's, it's too hard to make a, a pinpoint answer on that and a pinpoint judgment on what you should do. Um, and at the end of the day, it comes down, some guys are, some guys handle, uh, cardio in a different manner than others will and whatever fits, you know, them best, then maybe that's what you do. Uh, but I think from our programming standpoint and training standpoint here is we'll use, we'll utilize, um, you know, our cardio equipment for more for recovery and our tempo work, you know, for recovery. But at the end of the day too, we do tempo runs and we do curvilinear tempo runs, um, so we're not just running in a straight line all the time. You know, we we incorporate some curves into it just so that they're getting that that stimulus and, um, you know, are able to handle the stressors of, you know, curving on the baseball field. Um, 
so we, we don't do it just to do it. We, we do it for a reason. Um, and at the end of the day, our reason is just to accumulate the yards that they're going to need in a game um, and also help them recover for the next day that they're going to lift. Um, you know, cause I do think there's a lot of benefit to that. Uh, and just, like I said, it's putting it, we, we utilize it to put our guys in the best positions possible and so that right. they can feel as fresh as possible. Um, cause we don't just want to use our, our recovery day as them doing nothing. Right. So we utilize, you know, some tempo runs, whatever cardio equipment we use just to kind of get some blood flow going and just to kind of speed up that recovery process. Yeah. So w- what are some of the parameters for those uh, tempo run days? Uh, because I think like the tempo run can be thought of in a lot of different ways. And I think that uh, <clears throat> sometimes people aren't as specific with it. So like, what does it actually look like for your program? Yeah. So what we'll do um, at the beginning of the year, like I said, we'll uh, we'll go in back and look at the catapult data from the previous year. And we'll kind of just take the averages of, all right, what's the total yardage covered in a game right and sometimes it can be really really high um i mean you're looking at sometimes some guys can cover eight to nine thousand yards a game just just in the game itself and that's it's rare that that happens all the time but there are some cases where that does happen so you know you go back and look at the the catapult data from the previous year um and you you take you take the highest average of, you know, total yards. That's, that's at least what we do. Um, and then we kind of go off of that, how we structure our tempo, our tempo work, just so that we're kind of building up to that highest um, total yardage. And obviously you gotta, you gotta progress into it. Right. Um, so with our tempo runs, it's probably a lot of linear periodization, right? So we're just up in the volume week by week. Um, and then if you have to pull back a little bit on a week, we will, but I think our tempo work, we have it in mind as being, we want to just prepare their bodies to be able to withstand and cover that amount of yardage in a game and have them be ready for that when it occurs, just so that they're not out there. If we're not doing any tempo work and we throw them out on the field and they haven't done any of that and they have to go and cover 8,000 yards, you're probably going to start to see some soft tissue injury. Um, and that may not just be because it's high intensity, but just because they haven't been exposed to hitting those type of yardages there. So I know I know a bunch of coaches that you know can will program that differently, um, but we've come to found that that's what works best for us, um, and you know we we stick to that just to be able to make sure that we're putting our guys in the positions that they need to be so that when it comes to, to game time, they're able to cover those yards without any problem. Yeah. So what would it look like in terms of work to rest ratio there? Um, like, and if you could just lay out maybe uh, just to even clarify it more, like day one, what is it going to look like in terms of all right, six sets of 50 yard buildups? with a work to rest ratio of X versus like right before the season, what will it look like where, you know, it's scaled up and there's more volume and then the work to rest ratio might differ uh, just to solidify it even more. Yeah. So um, work to rest ratio. I mean, I don't think we spend too much time trying to figure out what that's going to be just because 
generally it depends on how big our group is and how many guys we actually need to get through in a session. So um, a lot of times we'll stick to the basic every minute on the minute. And that kind of seemed to be a good parameter for us. Um, so it's generally, it'll take them maybe eight seconds, depending on how long it is to do a tempo. Right. Um, Cause when we think of tempo runs, we're doing it at, at around 65 to 70% of what our max velocity would be. So they're not, you know, sprinting this full speed. Um, and the reason it's called tempo is because we want them at a good tempo. We don't want them sprinting. Um, so they're working at 65, 70% of, you know, whatever their max velocity would be. Um, <clears throat> so we found that kind of every minute on the minute is generally uh, a good parameter for us just because we have a lot of guys that need to get through. Um, and you're crunched for time as well in some aspects, because a lot of times we'll do tempos and then we have to go in and, and train. So we, we need to be able to have enough time to go into the weight room and do what we need to do. Um, but it is something that I think we do need to look into a little more, just work to rest ratio and, and what the, the demands of baseball are. Um, and I'm, I'm not sure if you can, you know, um, speak on behalf of that and what, work to rest ratios you've found important? Cause if you do, I'd, I'd love to hear them. Yeah. I, I wish I was more educated in the, in the area. Honestly, I'm <clears> asking <throat> you, uh, cause I'm, I'm curious, but I saw a talk at the NSDA conference. I hope I have the name, right. It was Dr. John Waggle. And he was talking about cardiovascular demands of pitching. And he was showing that when an individual is out on the mound, they were having, a heart rate that was around, I think it was maybe 80% of heart rate max. Um, and obviously some of that can be, you know, stress induced. It could be caffeine, uh, you know, just the, the game speeding up, whatever that is. Um, because there was a, another group that was just throwing in an indoor mound in like a bullpen and their heart rate was a little bit lower, but Either way, the heart rate was, I think, 70% of heart rate max or higher. So um, it's an area that I've kind of been interested in ever since that talk because, you know, 70% of heart rate max is, and you're holding that for 10 minutes, it's like pretty considerable um, heart rate, right? Mm -hmm. We're looking at, for somebody that's 26, like myself, um, you'd be looking at a heart rate, I think it would be like 135 to 145. Um, so definitely some cardiovascular demands there, especially if it's uh, somebody that's a starting pitcher where they're doing like a 10-minute bout in an inning and then taking a quick rest, uh, especially if it's like one, two, three inning on offense, then coming right back out and doing that again. Um, so it's something that I've been more and more interested in. And, you know, I don't, know whether it's best to train that in like a zone two kind of range where it's um you know you're just doing like long slow distance on like a bike where the intensity is so far away from game intensity that you're not really chewing up as much training economy or even mm -hmm. like a some type of like brisk walk that hits zone two um those are kind of things that i'm looking into but I think at the end of the day, you just never want to be hitting many intensities that are going to take away from like the training economy in the weight room and then also on the field. So I Absolutely. think as you get to those higher like 
zone five intensities, you really run the risk of hitting the nervous system hard. Um, yeah. And I, I guess that kind of takes me into this point too. Um, specifically in our off season, uh, when we kind of had just a strength and conditioning emphasis um, for a couple of weeks, that's where we hit a lot of tempos and whatnot. But I think you also have to take into account when you get to fall ball or when you get to the actual season itself, that's that in a sense is going to be your, your, your cardio. If you think about it, Um, because when you get the fall ball, you're, you're, you're now training um, for two hours, whatever it may be. And you're covering a lot of yardage. There's a lot of cardio and, and what and stuff built into that itself. So it's like, you don't even really have to touch upon that from a strength and conditioning standpoint. Like, you just let the training and the practice be the cardio that they need because it replicates the game. Um, so it's then it comes to a point then where you don't even have to really touch upon it unless there's guys that really aren't getting that exposure and that's what you can use catapult for. Um, so if guys aren't getting that, then maybe you can do some extra work on the side. Um, but I mean, at the end of the day, let the game, let the game be the, the dictator of right. you know what what needs to be done and how to do it. So I think that's another great point to think about is when you actually get to practice and playing games, it's the more cardio you do, there's probably going to be a detrimental effect to it, right? You just want to let the game be the be the stressor and be the dictator of what needs to be done outside of it, you know? Yeah, I would definitely agree and then also it's a like I'd agree at the collegiate level, uh, although professionally there are some different considerations too, right? Because, right, I'm in the Florida Coast League, the FCL, and with the Florida Coast League at the rookie level that the guys are playing in, they will do training pregame. So they're probably going to have a decent aerobic base. But if you're a guy that's at an affiliate, say low A or double A, those guys don't really have practice. So you have just spring training where the guys will be practicing consistently. Um, and then you also have potentially instructional league after the year. Um, but typically that's now being limited to just rookie guys. So professionally, it's, it's I guess, more important from our standpoint because you need to almost build that base during spring training because once the season starts, like, Guys will take BP, they'll take, you know, ground balls or fly balls, but it's not as much structured practice like you guys are going through. So, I mean, it really just speaks to the fact that you got to just know your setting that you're working in and what your individual team is going through in terms of game and practice demands and everything like that. Because, you know, there's we can't just give you the prescription uh, for every single different setting. Yeah, for sure. And, and at the end of the day, that's what technology is for. And that's what technology helps us out with is just being able to see those metrics and um, have easy access to them so that we can see if guys are guys aren't getting the the stimulus that they need from, you know, an aerobic standpoint or anaerobic standpoint, whatever you, whatever you're programming. Right. And then you can look at those metrics and then make decisions off of that. So I think that's just another benefit to having access to different forms of technology. Definitely. And I think that's a pretty good spot to wrap. Um, anything that you want to plug before we, or even anything else that you want to cover before we wrap things up? Um, I, I would just say, you know, working with baseball players, um, 
train them like the athletes they are, right? You know, they're athletes at the end of the day. They're not just baseball players, right? Um, you know, we have a lot of guys that were multi-sport athletes in high school. Um, so there's no one way to, to program for a baseball player. I think, you know, just train them to be the athlete that they are. Now, obviously, there's some sports-specific things that you may need to touch upon in the weight room, um, you know, whether that be rotational med ball stuff, different things like that. But at the end of the day, um, you know, just train them like the athletes they are, you know, squat, hinge, um, push, pull, you know, different things like that. And, uh, you know, you'll see a lot of benefit to it. Um, and at the end of the day, one of the main things that we've touched upon this year is just sprinting um, and sprinting on a consistent basis, you know, expose them to um, high, high intensities and get them to 95 to hundred percent of their max velocity on a, on a weekly basis. Cause you'll see a lot of benefit to that. They're not only going to get faster on the field, um, but you know, you protect them from soft tissue, tissue injuries, you know, hamstrings, um, different things like that. So obviously every coach has a different way of programming and, and whatnot, but at the end of the day, just kind of take a step back and, and be like, all right, let's train them like the athletes that they are and not just as baseball players, you know, um, make them well-rounded athletes and, um, you know, you'll see a lot of good things that come from it. So, yeah, no, I think that's such an important point. Uh, I think that we kind of get pigeonholed with our mindset, uh, with baseball players. So that's very important. Um, but yeah, people can find you on Instagram, right? Are you on Twitter? Yeah. So I'm on, uh, Instagram. Um, my Instagram is, uh, coach Reeser. Uh, so you can find me on there and then Twitter, you can find me at Hunter Reeser. Um, and then obviously I have some LinkedIn and, and, uh, different things like that. Um, but I would say Instagram and Twitter, I'm probably, um, on there the most and, um, trying to put out more and more content. Um, you know, I just think there's, there's so much to learn from everybody on Instagram. Uh, cause I think that's the, you know, the main form of communication now with coaches and whatnot, you know, just putting out, you know, videos and, um, different posts and stuff that you can take a lot, take away a lot from it. So I'm trying to get more um, in depth with Instagram and Twitter. So um, if you're interested, that's where you can find me. Um, and I can also give you my links and stuff if you want to put it in the notes or whatever. But uh, yeah, those are the two main platforms you can probably find me on. Awesome. Well, Hunter Reeser, everyone, thank you for coming on the show. Appreciate I appreciate it, Joe. It was a, it was a great time. I'm sure we could have probably made this, Eight Two hours, three hours. Yeah. Um, just, <laughs> just spitting knowledge, but no, I appreciate you having me on and, uh, look forward to, to chatting it up with you more. Sweet.